listening to the Astral Hour. I'm your host, Astral Meadow. Join me as we take a glimpse into the mysterious. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to our first episode. I'm very excited to be able to introduce you all to my friend, Philip Clift. Philip is a yoga teacher and co-owner of Renegade Yoga here in Knoxville. You could also call him a mystic. He has a long history of studying the occult or mystery teachings, which span across many religions and spiritual ideologies. For today, we will primarily focus on yoga as a practice and philosophy. So my first question is, how would you define yoga and where does it originate from? I would define yoga as an alchemical process by which we actively or intentionally participate in the evolution of our individual consciousness back towards union with the divine from which we originally emerged. A reconciliation, I suppose you could say, known as uh, anugraha in tantric yoga philosophy. Um, there, in tantric yoga philosophy, there are five acts of divine consciousness. Anugraha means revealing, remembering, or grace. Besides allowing for creative expression, the fourth act, tirodna, is also the reason why we suffer. We can't see the truth of our reality, and this is frightening and painful. But this is eventually resolved by Anugraha, when what was hidden is revealed and we remember. So, our reconciliation. As author uh, Christopher Wallace explains, it's not meant to negate the act of the concealment of Tarodna, but to bring it to fruition by revealing its deeper purpose. Such reconciliation is thus also a reintegration through it, you experientially realize yourself as a complete and perfect expression of the deep pattern of the one consciousness which moves and dances in all things. So that's the ultimate, in my opinion, that would be the ultimate goal of yoga. All right. So it's deeper than just the positions. It's a lot of inner work. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That was the primary intention was to, you know, get to the inner world through the body. Right, right. I think in our Western culture, we get a little caught up in like treating it like exercise and sort of disconnected from the spiritual aspects of yoga, which is the foundation. Absolutely. You know, because, you know, our culture is very superficially focused. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense that we would approach it from there. And it's fine to do that because you have to start somewhere. Right. You're still going to get the benefits. Absolutely. You know, even if you're, you know, not using it as a spiritual. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, what are some of the styles of yoga that you specialize in? Um, I specialize in what's known as vinyasa krama, krama mm-hmm. or intuitive creative sequencing of asana, which means posture. Okay. Based on my personal experience and what I perceive to be the collective energy or need of each particular group or individual I happen to be working with. So, 
in order to do vinyasa chroma sequencing, it's mm-hmm. it's good to have like a, a really strong foundation in a traditional or classical style. Mm-hmm. And essentially you that's your foundation and you build upon that right. based on intuition mm-hmm. and experience and like a feel for who you're working with. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what I've developed through the years. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. It's very, um, my style is very grounded in the classical yoga systems known as Ashtanga Vinyasa Yoga. Okay. And Iyengar Yoga. Okay. Yeah. So Ashtanga focuses on internal energetic dynamics during asana practice. Okay. So it's that they use these different methods to draw the awareness inward mm-hmm. uh, intentionally. Right. While uh, posture practice is occurring. Okay. Iyengar yoga does that too, but it but it does it through precision alignment. Mm-hmm. So he's got like all these these different like alignment cues and ways of describing areas of the body that draw your attention to that in such a way that it, it creates this internal focal point. Mm-hmm. And but it also um, benefits you physically and structurally at the same time. So it's really important, particularly for beginners, you know, to to have that foundation. Mm -hmm. So I try to blend those two styles together to create a, you know, a a more comprehensive whole. And so far it's been pretty effective, I think. Okay. So when I do your yin yang class, it's technically an ashtang vinyasana. It's, it's, it's technically, um, yeah, it, 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 the, the sequencing of, okay, it, of, okay. it, of it, it is is based on my understanding of Ashtanga Vinyasa Yoga. Okay. But the way that I align the poses, mm-hmm. my cueing about pose alignment and all that, Ashtanga doesn't use any pose cueing or alignment cues ever. Okay. They just call out a posture and mm-hmm. the number of breaths. And then you're supposed to know everything else. Right, right. right. So, so I it's like expert level. Yeah. So any anything that I anything extra that I provide is based on my understanding of Iyengar yoga and uh, you know, how the body is supposed to be aligned in particular poses. And then of course I do um, the primary way I get my you know, my understanding of the practice across is through hands-on adjustments. Right. I was going to go into that because yeah. that is very unique. Yeah. Um, I've done quite a bit of different types of yoga, but no one's ever came up to me and like really put me in the correct position or I don't know what you're doing sometimes, but it's always like this, I get this release after you, yeah. you know, you come yeah. up, you do something, you walk off and I'm like, oh wow, that's so much better. Like I would have never thought that. Yeah. Yeah. So I well, love the hands-on approach. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, I, th- I it, it's, traditionally an Ashtanga Vinyasa mm-hmm. way of, of communicating the poses and the understanding of the instructor to the students. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's a form of what's called Shaktipat. Okay. Yeah. Which is kind of like Reiki, if you're familiar with that. Right. I do right. feel like there's an energy exchange yeah. when you walk up to. And then yeah. I feel like more confident. After you yeah. walk away, I'm like, I've got this, you know, I'm strong and I'm sturdy. And Yeah, 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 absolutely. That, that's that's what I hope comes through, you know, because essentially what I'm doing is uh, I'm trying to convey my understanding of what the pose is like to my to my students through the way that I adjust their bodies while mm-hmm. they're in the pose, you know, and then hopefully some of the, uh, you know, the universal life force energy or the Reiki will come through during right. the adjustment, you know, and that's extremely valuable. Right. I, I found that 
like you walking by and saying, okay, you know, go a little deeper into downer dog or whatever. When I do my practice now at home, I I realized like I was not doing downward dog mm-hmm. properly. Like I wasn't going fully in and getting the full benefits. But now when I do it at home, you know, you I, remember. Like, yeah, I remember. Yeah. And like, I know what it's supposed to feel like. So I really think it's good uh, to do some in-person classes, even if that makes you uncomfortable, because I think you want to know, you want to do the posture right to mm-hmm. get the full benefit, you know? Yeah. And if somebody's, you know, spent, you know, a significant portion of their life doing this stuff and they have, they probably hopefully will have some insight into poses that people that don't have as much experience Right. And like, you know, do so, you know, ahead, like even ahead of time, like letting you know, like, hey, I had a knee surgery or something like that, where mm-hmm. when you do this stuff online, like you're not going to get that, you know, no. that experience of a professional that can look at you and, you know, tell that your hip rotation is different than the person next to you or not only look at you, but actually feel <laughs> into your into your energy right you know and that that's you know like when i adjust somebody i'm i'm i'm, I'm tempering the adjustment based on what i feel what, what I'm, I'm getting like the subtle feedback from the right. people you know and I'm, I'm tempering the adjustment based on that right so and and then if you get the if you get the depth of the adjustment just right that's when the uh that's when the the reiki really kicks in at that point you know because the person's much more open to receive uh-huh. at that point you know if you're going too hard then they're fighting against you if you're not going deep enough then there's not that much happening right so you know the the, the depth and the you know the feeling into the person is absolutely key to the whole thing that's so, great yeah that's great. Mm-hmm. all right um how is the yoga that's taught here different from other places around the world? That's a really interesting question. Mm-hmm. Um, in my opinion, this is my opinion, uh, the vast majority of modern yoga throughout the world is similar. Okay. And it's focused on elevating ego or personal identity right now i mean and that's kind of where our culture is right you know uh we've got a lot of people that are really uh imbalanced from an emotional physical and psychological standpoint Mm -hmm. and and we really need to get people kind of back to neutral before they can progress toward their higher Mm -hmm. potential right so i think um you know, it's an, it really yoga is attempting to build up a person's sense of self-value and mm-hmm. confidence. Um, and that's true, you know, in the U.S., Europe, Asia, everywhere across the world. The primary differences, in my opinion, again, uh, exist in, there's some continuation of the guru reverence in the East, mm-hmm. particularly in India, um, you know, Although that is fading because mm-hmm. the, because the idea that everyone is their own guru is beginning right. to emerge in human consciousness now. Mm-hmm. You know, so we don't, you know, people are gaining enough confidence that they don't necessarily need to get, you know, that deep spiritual guidance from another person as much as they are able to access it through their own intuition. Right. So insight. is the guru like a priest, you know, yes. to Christianity? Yeah. So they would go... He might teach yoga, but you might go to the side and ask, you know, personal questions about something in your life or it's Absolutely. not. Absolutely. Okay. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. A true guru would be, you know, like a, like a father or a mother in addition to a, you know, a spiritual guide at the same time. So it's right. a, it's a really deep, profound relationship. And, and, you know, the, 
modern culture doesn't really allow for that, really, right. you know, particularly in the West. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of beginning to fade away. And, you know, teachers are, um, you know, based on their own personal experience and expertise, they have, you know, they create a different type of environment in the classroom, mm-hmm. right? You know, so if you're a young teacher, you're a new teacher, you're, you're focused on, you know, just getting your class down and like right. how you should do it. But if you've, you know, if you've been at it for a while and you've got a lot of personal experience through teaching and your own practice, right. then you can, you, can, you can provide a, you know, a really stable environment that has a lot of potential for growth and expansion, I think. Right. Yeah. So, okay. yeah. So the, the, I'd say the primary differences in yoga across the world are, are really just the differences in the individual teachers okay. more than anything else, more than like, you know, European yoga being different from Asian yoga or South American yoga or whatever. Is there like, um, an age that most of the gurus are? I know that when I, when I think of a guru, I think of an older man, you know, with a mm-hmm. long gray beard. Is there like, um, an amount of time of training that they usually are required to do or is it can you just be a guru um i think a a guru is some to to become a guru is something that's earned through personal devotion you know and it's 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 evident it's obvious within a person if Mm -hmm. they're if they're at that level of consciousness so does their guru sort you know your guru works with another guru do they have to sort of clear you know, and say, okay, you're ready now. You're ready to yes. teach now. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the way it's always been done at the past. In the past, the teacher would would like give, um, not necessarily permission, but like, um, you know, um, the go ahead. Right. Like you're to ready begin to now. teach. Yeah, you're ready. Yeah, you've done enough. I, I see that you've made. You know, I can I can objectively look at you and see that you've made enough progress personally to Uh be able to share this with other people right okay you know and you know and interestingly enough in the in the in the west now uh anybody can teach yoga i mean even if they don't have a personal practice or any experience doing anything and that and that that, that, that's that's really kind of a problem that i feel like you can tell like i've went to yoga classes and i just like the person's really cute and they seem like they know the postures, but it doesn't seem like when they teach it that they're that there's any depth, you know. And I usually end up leaving like extremely sore and like just overworked. And I like I'm just like, what what did I just do, you know? Because I've spent most of my time doing uh, Kundalini yoga, mm-hmm. and it's it's not as physical. No, there. I mean, goodness, my arms, you know, hurt from some of the weird weird positionings that you hold for an extended period of time right right but Mm -hmm. it's like my body doesn't hurt when it's over it's like as soon as I drop my arms I'm like and it's like a release and I'm not sore so like some of these people I go and it really is like exercise like I'm Mm -hmm. you know for like a week later I might still be in pain but you know interestingly kundalini yoga (laughs) is designed to uh specifically to get to the emotional body Uh uh-huh yeah or the uh what's called the manamaya kosha okay yeah yeah through the physical body so they're not really concerned about so much what's going on with the physical body they want to get directly into the emotional body and they feel like that's where most the most transformation can occur so yeah and it can it can be i mean you can very easily have an emotional release from from a from a kundalini yoga class where you're holding your arm up at a you know 90 degree angle for 11 minutes or right oh my goodness yeah yeah it just it stimulates your emotional body really strongly right right i love Mm -hmm. it i love it
All right. So um, what is pranayama and how can people incorporate this into their regular practice? Mm-hmm. What are some of the benefits from it? Yeah. yeah. Um, pranayama <laughs> is the, it's the fourth limb of Pantanjali's eight limb system. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> first are more kind of, uh, intellectual disciplines, I suppose you say psychological disciplines, okay. the yamas and the niyamas. And then we have asana, which is posture. Mm-hmm. And then pranayama comes after that. So, okay. um, and it, it, it teaches us how to breathe more efficiently, how to focus our attention. And eventually, you know, the more advanced practices teach us how to build our personal subtle energy. Mm-hmm through some of the uh, subtle energy dynamics that we mentioned earlier that occur in Ashtanga yoga, for example. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, I look at pranayama a couple different ways. Like if you're if you're new to yoga, then you can practice it as a focusing technique. Right. Right, right, right away, head, right of. away, right away. You can just focus on your breathing. You can do deep belly breathing and it's extremely beneficial in that way. Um, yeah, it gets you out of your head into your body mm-hmm. yeah which is really important for a lot of people um it teaches us how to breathe more efficiently you know right. i mean there are certain techniques that expand the space that the lungs move into mm-hmm. you know a lot of people are chest breathers mm-hmm. because they haven't learned how to belly breathe for right. example so they haven't a lot of people can be 30 40 years old and have never taken a full breath before and that's in their lives wild, you know so just that alone is extraordinarily beneficial i mean it decreases your stress levels it affects your parasympathetic nervous system in a really mm-hmm. positive way um and that is you know beneficial for a person or a yoga practitioner at any level beginner level on you know but um and you know you 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 do that throughout your your life no matter how much experience you have but right. but um the, the more serious, like, pranayama practices, like what you would get in, you know, advanced Ashtanga yoga and stuff like that, where you're actually trying to build up prana in your body. You're right. trying to, like, enhance that, to stimulate a rising of what's known as your kundalini mm-hmm. energy, which is an evolutionary alchemical type energy that's kind of dormant in the human body that can be stimulated through uh, connecting with earth energy or Shakti is what it's called. Mm-hmm. So that like can stimulate the kundalini energy to rise. And you do that by really these really super intense pranayama exercises mm-hmm. that are um, now to, if you want to get into that stuff, you really have to have a, a solid foundation and asana practice for a number of years. Otherwise it can like kind of fry your circuits, I guess you could say. Uh-huh, you know, so, yeah. So pranayama is just like asana. It functions on, on several different levels. Right. Yeah, so it's it 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 um, is beneficial for you know beginner yogis and extremely advanced yogis. So, yeah, the first time I ever had an experience with pranayama, I didn't know what it was. I went on the Sufi retreat with my English professor, um, and we were doing these breaths and chanting something. I don't I don't know what it was, but we we did the pranayama and then we laid on the ground. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just laying there. And then suddenly I'm like, I astral projected into the kitchen downstairs. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like it was the first Mm -hmm. time I had, you know, projected while being awake. And I was like looking around and I was like, this is really weird. You know, and it was just the chanting and the breath work. And Mm -hmm. it really did something 
to i guess relax me enough to where my like spirit felt like comfortable to just sort of yeah, yeah, do yeah. whatever it wanted yeah, and... yeah absolutely yeah a lot of people have those experiences uh, those those type of things are very natural for human beings but we we've just kind of forgotten about them you know they're right. kind of dormant in the human psyche i suppose you'd say right you know and, and breath work can really bring that stuff to the surface for sure right so, i'm i'm always yeah. trying to like teach people like you don't need drugs like you can breathe you know if yeah. you do like yeah. breath of fire like you get a buzz from it, you, you know, do. and you're you not going to cough and you're not going to mm-hmm. fail your, you know, drug test at work. So I'm always trying to like casually throw that out there to people I know, you know, yeah. like you don't need mm-hmm. drugs to get high. Like it's cool if that's what you want to do, but like all of that is right inside of you already. Absolutely. You know? so yeah. We also have endogenous DMT. Right. Too, you know, and some of the more advanced um, mudra practices uh-huh, which yeah. we're gonna go into later. yeah they uh you know uh, uh, there's something called um kachari mudra actually mm-hmm. where you can you know it's not something that's really practiced very much in the modern world but you know at, at some point in the past people you know actually were able to stimulate glands up inside their brains to release endogenous dmt so they would actually have a dmt trip but it was from their own chemistry right right it's already inside externally yeah right yeah 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 absolutely okay well let's go ahead and go to i was going to ask about mudras but let's go ahead and kind of um go into that now so um could you explain more in depthly what they are Mm -hmm. and how they can help people absolutely yeah, uh, mudras are probably one of the one of the least known aspects of of subtle energy dynamics in yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, they're specific held positions that allow for stimulation and completion of energetic loops or circuits mm-hmm. that create a very particular dynamic within the body or the kosha system. Um, I think it might be a good idea for me to go ahead and go into koshas just a little bit because that's kind of important. Um, yeah, so in tantric yoga philosophy, uh, it's believed that the physical body is the densest form of spirit. So t- okay. tantra is a non-dualistic yoga philosophy, mm-hmm. which means that there's no separation between body and spirit. Right. You know, Um a lot of religions in the past have tried to create that divide and that creates a lot of confusion and like the body's a sinful thing and uh-huh. you know and it's just it just creates a lot of guilt and it's a real problem but uh you know a non a non-dualistic philosophy is much more um in line with with yoga mm-hmm. and so yoga yoga and you know Tantra are very uh, copacetic, I guess you'd say. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so in in Tantra yoga philosophy, there's a the body has like five layers or sheaths. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The most the, the the densest, most physical aspect of spirit is called the Anamaya Kosha. Okay. Um, and that's the the food body or the material body. The 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 next one is called the Pranamaya Kosha, which would be the subtle energetic body. So that's mm-hmm. where the prana chakras uh the values kundalini all that stuff resides on that on that level of consciousness and then you and then you have the manamaya kosha which is the emotional body that's Mm -hmm. a little bit deeper than the than the subtle energetic body and you have the vision of maya kosha kosha which is the wisdom body so that's like uh the intellect that has access to intuition or you know insight or 
you know, the deeper levels of knowledge. Uh, and then you have the, what's known as the Ananda Maya Kosha, which is called the bliss body. Mm-hmm. So when you're, when you're experiencing like pure bliss or oneness or this sense of this no boundary experience that mm-hmm. you might get in meditation or, you know, from a, from a entheogen trip or whatever, mm-hmm. then you're, you're actually in what's called the Anandamaya Kosha, the bliss body. And, um, you know, just a brief experience in that is something that you never forget. Right. It's with you, you know, throughout your lifetime. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So back to mudras. Um, <laughs> Mudras are really similar to, um, like acupuncture, for example. Mm-hmm. Acupuncture and acupressure create a similar dynamic to a mudra. Like for, you know, like, like if you, you know, complete uh, tip of a thing, finger, index finger and thumb. That's called Janana mudra, mm-hmm. and that is a way of like it creates this like internal dynamic where you're where you're more aligned with spirit, right. essentially. Um, you know, closing your hands at your heart, which is called Anjali Mudra, mm-hmm. is a way of like actually um, stimulating the parasympathetic nervous system to induce relaxation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can affect the respiratory system, the digestive system, just with the way you position your body and close energetic loops mm-hmm. within the body. Okay. Yeah. So, for example, like uh, yoga postures. Uh, have mudras and a lot of people don't realize this you know ashanga yoga is a, is a system of mudras essentially um, the different body positions are actually mudras and they affect ah. the subtle energetic system in very unique and, and different ways um, you know the more complex and more tightly you're wrapped up and wound up you know the, the deeper the mudra effect essentially so you know, for a basic posture like warrior one or fierce pose because mm-hmm. that's those are in sun salutations and those are always done you know early on in classes or early on in a person's experience with yoga um, a lot of teachers will teach you know just to have the hands shoulder width apart for mm-hmm. example and up mm-hmm. Um now, what happens is that's fine structurally and physically, but it doesn't create a mudra necessarily because the mudra is the closing the connection. of the hands. Yeah, the con- actual ah. connection that you form. So from a mudra perspective, it would be better to bend the elbows right? and touch the palms. Okay. And from a, you know, from a strictly physiological musculoskeletal perspective it might be better to keep the arms fully extended but it depends on your intention and what, right. you, what you want to do with the, with the practice you know so right yeah and intention i was going to bring that up later but yeah. since we're already talking about it yeah um do you think it's important to set intentions before classes do you think that it affects the outcome uh absolutely there's there's absolutely no question about it um i think it makes all the difference um intentions are like prayers that form a connection with our higher selves mm-hmm. you know or the divine however you want to look at it uh it creates a it creates a more devotional atmosphere in the in the classroom mm-hmm. by focusing our attention on bridging the gap between ourselves as the teacher and the students right yeah so my you know my my, my, my intention is always to give everything that i can in the moment you mm-hmm. know and i I really teach for the benefit of my students at this point in my career. You know, you know, when you're a young teacher and you're first starting out, you might be doing it a lot for yourself, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately. And that, I mean, well, not necessarily, unfortunately, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's not, it's not the 
best for the student way of going about yeah, it. Yeah, it's good for you, but it's not yeah. necessarily the best for the student. Yeah. So at this, I mean, I've been doing it for so long, but now that you know, my entire focus is on my students. Right. You know, because I don't, I don't need anything from it anymore right. personally. Right. So. And it's really nice because my intention is just to give everything that I have right. in the classroom. And that's mm-hmm. I, and I find that to be a very beautiful thing, very effective, you know, for, right. for my students. At least I hope so. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> shows, you know. Yeah, thank you. I can yeah, yeah. see that you're very intentional. Yeah, I've been trying to put intentions into, like, everything lately. So, like, when I drink water, I, like, hold it and I, like, imagine, you know, like, all this pure energy going in and then Mm -hmm. as I drink it it's you know giving me all like this life energy that I would need or it or like even when I'm cooking you know I'm like putting like love into it and but actually imagining it like love going into the dish um so I've been trying to practice it more and I swear like it and maybe it's the just the ritual of it but it makes my life just feel I don't know just like more blessed or like I have some kind of power in me that I didn't even realize, you know, just by like setting the intention. Cause then I can see an outcome because I actually had this goal. Yeah. So if you don't yeah. set any intention, you don't even know what you're going to get. You know, it's just like any path will get you there. But if you set your intention and then it happens and you're like, Oh wow. Like I did that. You know, yeah. like yeah, I yeah. put my energy mm-hmm. in that. Certainly. I'll tell you, you know, water is really dynamic and very influenced by thoughts and emotions mm-hmm. you know and, and, and there was a japanese researcher i can't remember his name you know, know back in the 90s i think i know who you're talking about yeah 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 he did all his uh, work with with uh, water crystals yes and he would he would project certain emotions or he would play like different types of music mm-hmm. and you know he would put he would tape words on these jars you know the and and the ones that were positive or like love based or you know would have like these would form like these beautiful, beautiful. crystals that were really like beautifully and... geometrical and balanced right. yeah yeah and the, and the and the negative ones would, would were more chaotic you know right. so water and you know our bodies are mostly water right so i mean you know the the what we say about ourselves what we think about ourselves really mm-hmm. does create a manifestation in our physical bodies right you know particularly if you look at it from a tantric perspective because we the physical body is spirit Right. It's just dense, really dense spirit. Mm-hmm. So. I was going to kind of um, have you go into Tantra a little bit. I think people get so distracted and only think about red Tantra, which it's like sting. You know, they're like, oh, I think it's sting when I think of Tantra. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, mm-hmm. there is so much more. There's like all these other colors. But specifically white Tantra, I, I went on this... Well, it's not a retreat, but they do a white Tantra thing in Knoxville every now and then. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was weird, you know, because I wasn't prepared. You know, I just do these things sometimes and I'm not like really prepared. But I didn't have a partner, so I just got partnered with this like random guy. He was like just recovered from his alcoholism. Wow. And like okay. he hadn't really done much yoga. And so I'm partnered with him and like it's all this eye contact, you know, a lot like red Tantra is eye contact and like really connecting to the person's essence. Mm-hmm. But it was so weird to do it with someone I don't, you know, I didn't know, but like I really could see like into this man, you know, like, like he would sort of morph, like I could see him as a young man. I could mm-hmm. see him as like an old man and it was yeah. beautiful, but I don't think it's ever talked about. Like no one talks about the other colors of Tantra. They only want to talk about the sexual stuff. The sexual know? stuff. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, 
I don't know a lot about Tantra from that perspective necessarily. Mm-hmm. What I know about it is is like the non-duality right. aspect of it. Okay. Uh, and the, uh, you know, the five acts of divine consciousness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Hatha yoga or posture yoga, asana, is based on tantric philosophy. Right, right. I mean, there would be... There would really be no need to work with the physical body unless you unless you believed that the physical body was a dense form of spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, otherwise, you know, you you might as well just focus on your mind. And that's what that that's what a lot of the, you know, some traditions uh, of yoga bypass asana completely and mm-hmm. they go directly into meditation right from the beginning. Right. You know, so they're more of a dualistic philosophy and they know they just don't they're just trying to access what they believe to be the to be the spirit that exists, you know, outside the body or in or separate from the body in some right. way. So, yeah. And as far as the, you know, the, the, the this yeah, the, the, the whole like uh, Kama Sutra and right. you know, the sexual Tantra is, is interesting, but it has to do with uh I think, you know, preserving the energy, right? you know, as, as much as, as like releasing it. So, you know, you, you, you build it up and, and, and that, that like sexual energy that doesn't get released is like super powerful over over time. And it can really stimulate deep, profound change within a person's consciousness. Right. Yeah. So it's not just about, you know, having sex and having a good time. Right. You know, it's, it's not just uh, the sing stuff. Yeah. Like it goes into all this, like the semen retention. I don't think people like they just hear sex and that's it. And they're like, Oh, a really long sexual encounter. Mm-hmm. But like, you're like, you're actually trying to like, not, you know, like, release your energy you're like put, pulling it back in it's like a like a channel like it's, it's moving up and yeah. it's coming back it's like down. a mudra you know yeah, right exactly absolutely. exactly yeah. I, mm-hmm. I think it would be beneficial for people you know to look into it more and not just like going for you know 24 hours or whatever right right in ancient egypt they used to they did a ceremony called onking and they actually used the onks right to right to do that to to help retain the, the, the sexual energy mm-hmm. yeah and uh or if they did release it, they could capture it and put it back into the body. Exactly. Apparently, you know. So uh, yeah, it was, there was a you know a lot of ritual and ceremony around around that partic- particular practice, and I think it's potentially very powerful. But it, it would have to be, a person would have to be extremely disciplined, mm-hmm. you know, to benefit from something like that. I right, think. right, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So we've talked about Kundalini a lot. Um, could we go into a little bit of like chakras and mm-hmm. how they play into yoga? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, you know, chakras are subtle energy. Mm-hmm. Right. And, I, you know, the, the role of chakras in yoga is extremely significant and profound, but it's underappreciated and mm-hmm. underrecognized and definitely under un, not really very well understood, mm-hmm. you know, because... Um, chakras and all subtle energy, uh, prana, kundalini, vayu, et cetera, you know, exists, uh, in my understanding at the boundary of third and fourth dimensional reality. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's, it's, um, it's kind of underneath or behind what we think of as the quantum realm. Okay. It, it, it uh, the quantum realm is the first thing that appears physically from the etheric realm. Right, so so the subtle energy exists just underneath the quantum realm, mm-hmm. and it can only be 
perceived by highly sensitive empaths and clairvoyants right mm-hmm. now at this point in human history. So most people are maybe aware of it from a more intellectual or hypothetical perspective, mm-hmm. you know, but not necessarily a practical perspective where they're actually working with their chakras, unless they happen to be, you know, like I said, extremely empathic or clairvoyant mm-hmm. and they can actually perceive them. You know what right. I mean? You, most of us, if we're, if we understand them and, and kind of what they what they do and how they how they affect the body and how we affect them by what we do, we can we can kind of feel the effects of the particular chakra and mm-hmm. more than we are actually working you know intentionally with the chakra. You see what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's not, it's not like you. I mean, there are these great pictures. Uh, there was a there was an empath. I mean, a, a clairvoyant back in the early 1900s named C.W. Leadbetter. Mm-hmm. He was a, a theosophist and a clairvoyant, and he he could actually see chakras. And mm-hmm. he has all these pictures of, from what he envisioned the chakras to be, and they look completely different from any of the other pictures that you see. Mm-hmm. Um, his insight into it was really really profound and interesting. And if you read his book on chakras, it's it's like uh, you know. A, college level textbook mm-hmm. kind of thing. he goes into incredible detail you know most of the stuff you see is just like well you know you've got the the root chakra that's all about you know security and grounding and, grounding. Yeah. and then you've got the sacral chakra which is about sex and creativity mm-hmm. you know but he goes into like this massive amount of detail on the right. you know the subtle energetics of everything and it's it's really it's really pretty profound so from that perspective i don't think people really know much about the about the chakras right now but we do know you know the general you know, effect and kind of what they govern right. in the body and, you know, how you can affect them positively through mm-hmm. thought and intention and also through, you know, physical practices like asana and pranayama. You mm-hmm. know? So um, they, you know, they influence and are influenced by everything that we do. Right. Like no all day long. Like, oh, so yes. you leave your Reiki, your Reiki class, you're feeling great. You get in the car and then someone pisses you off and then like one of the chakras goes out of balance. It's like immediately it can happen so quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you got to maintain your uh, composure at all times. Right. Right. <laughs> Which is not easy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Carrying it, you know, off the mat. Um, Interestingly, that's what my, uh, my, 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 I don't want jump ahead but my deep dive program my immersion program at renegade is 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 based on the chakra that we use the chakras as a as a kind of a guideline uh, Mm -hmm. to for Mm self-exploration so we 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 do like three different uh workshops on each one of them okay focus on each chakra and how you know, some of the ancient esoteric teachings, you know, will will bring insight to this chakra or the effect of this chakra or how this chakra chakra governs certain areas of consciousness or, or whatever. So that's uh, it, it, it's a, it's a really good foundation and format to begin the inward journey of like self-discovery, I think, mm-hmm. going through the chakra system. With chakras, I... I find that I I hear a lot of people they'll talk about like their underactive chakras, uh-huh. which for yeah. me is always my root. Like I have, you know, like family issues and you know stuff that I never really had a great structure. But like my third eye and crown chakra are always over functioning, and I I don't think people talk about like how something being like when your third eye over functions, it like really affects 
some of the other chakras from being in a balanced state because so like when your third eye is like really active and you're just like stuck in your head and, and so that's actually not a great thing you want you know you want like the mind body and spirit and not to just be up here in the in the sky sure. but like also on the earth you know the so. reason that your that, that your ajna or your third eye chakra would be imbalanced would be because the root chakra right is is, is, is imbalanced in the opposite way mm-hmm. so the grounding isn't there in order to stabilize the ajna chakra mm-hmm. you know and that occurs with a lot of people a lot of people are very like active in their upper chakras but their mm-hmm. lower chakras are you know inactive and right. imbalanced you know but you ha- they have to all be functioning right in a state of a, a more balanced state to to get the, the highest benefit from each of them so if you're if you're ajna or your third eye chakra is wide open it doesn't matter if you're if your root chakra is not balanced, you know what I mean? So, because you can't, you're not able to process the information that you get from the third eye effectively. Right. Because you're not grounded. Then you get like almost like a schizophrenic. You think, oh, these people are crazy. But really, I always think um, maybe their higher centers are just wide open and they do not have a foundation. So they seem crazy. But sometimes I think, yeah, maybe they actually are seeing these things or hearing these things. Absolutely. They're not able to rationalize it because they're not... their lower energies are are not there. There's nothing in our culture that allows for that. Right. You know, so they're just considered to be insane or they, mm-hmm. they become homeless or, right. or just whatever. Heavily you know? medicated, yeah. lethargic. Yeah. yeah, it's really unfortunate because it, it could really be balanced with some good chakra work. work yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we talked about uh, Mundras earlier. Mm-hmm. Um and um, do they do they connect with chakras? Like, are is there a mudra you could do? Like, when you feel like your root, you know, isn't uh, you know full capacity. Absolutely, there- absolutely. And there's there's also a a, a chant or a, a mantra mm-hmm. that you can use to stimulate chakras. Too, each chakra has a particular syllable that's associated with it that you would chant it and it would it would draw like the vibration yeah yeah into that area of the body so yeah yeah absolutely so speaking of mantras do you have um a favorite mantra or um you know something that you focus on more often than some of the others and what's the purpose of it yeah uh well you know, for me, uh, that's not one of the central focuses of my practice necessarily, but I will tell you this, that um, in Ashtanga yoga, mm-hmm. the mantra is the sound made by ujjayi breath. Okay. So yeah. the swirling the of the breath. And the, <clears throat> yeah. The So it forms like this kind of rhythmical sound that draws the attention inward. You mm-hmm. know? So the, the, the sound of the breath is the primary mantra in, in, in what I do. And I also use um, Aum. Right. Aum is, Aum, Aum is really the only chant that I actually do. And mm-hmm. I, I use Aum. Aum is the primordial sound of the universe. All right. So right. It, it, was, it was the initiation of universal expansion. Mm-hmm. Right, so uh, you know, anytime you chant Om, you're connect Om, you're connecting with the divine, right? You know, or the origin of reality as we understand it. 
Uh, and then there's a, you can add the word zvaha mm-hmm. after om, and that means that that's essentially like saying an amen. So it's done at the end of a practice mm-hmm. to say, and so it is, or you know, like you've you've completed the practice, and everything that you wanted to get from it is now going to manifest right. essentially. So yeah, and that's about it. I do that's about all I do with mantra. Um, but um, I know that there are some people that are you know, just focused on mantra yoga. I mean, it's right. one of the, the Kundalini the main... yoga is mantra is like, yeah, it's... I would say like 80% right. of the practice is mantra. So yeah. I know all sorts of weird. Mantras, yeah. Like your teacher like... would actually give you a mantra that was specific for you. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, I was going to go somewhere with mantras. Oh, I was going to talk about or ask you about like using the mantra to sort of get into this like trans state and like once you're there like what can you do there like would you just sit or you know like I feel like when I go into a trans state I can kind of explore like I I'm like here in my body but then I like am able to release and go Mm -hmm. places so yeah maybe I'm just like a weird astral projector but like the mantra itself puts me into this state that allows me to expand like way beyond the physical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It creates a specific like vibrational energetic. Right. That is conducive to that. You right. know, and if you're, you know, if you're attuned to it, if you're, if your third eye, your Ajna chakra is, is functioning, highly mm-hmm. functioning, then you m- might be able to, you know, achieve something like that. Right. You know? But it, you would have to, you would have to be functioning pretty highly in that way. Okay. So not to, everybody does that. No, I, no, I wouldn't. No, no, I don't think that's, that's necessarily common, but it's certainly possible for everyone to do. Right. You right. Know? It's all within it's us. It's inherent within each individual. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Yeah. All right. Um, so we talked about gurus earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a particular yoga master that you admire and learn from? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. A couple. Um, most of my, you know, initial learning was based on the, uh, the teachings of Patabi Joyce mm-hmm. and BKS Iyengar because I, you know, I, I, I started my yoga as a, as a Hatha yogi, okay. you know, uh, really asana based and focused in that world because I, I came from a background of like athletics and weightlifting and all that. So I was naturally attuned to that, mm-hmm. to that kind of thing, you know, and, uh, I, I, I actually started yoga to work through, a, a, a sports related injury. Injury that mm-hmm. I had. Yeah. And um, I just, you know, went from there. But, um, you know, you know, they're, they're those two guys, Patabi Joyce and BKS Iyengar, they're thought of as, as asana teachers, but they're really much more than that. That's what they are on the surface because they use Hatha yoga to get into the internal dynamics and, and you know, deep into the consciousness of a person. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, I learned a lot from both of them yeah okay. a, a lot on on many levels you know Patapi Joyce was a he was a great pranayama and he and Iyengar both were great pranayama teachers mm-hmm. and they were great pratyahara teachers which is the fifth limb of okay. the eight limb system and they and, and they use these specific techniques during practice to draw the attention internally 
as opposed to being focused into the external world. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, it, it, when people think of of asana practice, they're thinking about all these pose shapes and everything. But right. really, it's a, it's about what's going on within a person while they're doing that, those things. That's right. the most important. That's where the yoga actually is. Mm-hmm. Is what's occurring inside a person, you know, internally during you know a you know a headstand or a right. triangle pose or whatever, you know. So yeah, those two guys, and then you know, I I, I have a I have great admiration for a guy named Dharma Mitra, who's a New York City-based uh, yoga teacher. He's the guy that you see the the poster in a lot of yoga studios. It has like you know a couple hundred poses. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, you've seen that all, and he you know he's he's a great teacher. He's he's one of the uh, you know the. Uh, I would say the last line of the living yoga masters. And mm-hmm. He's um, he's you know very heart centered, compassionate teacher. Just just I've never met him personally, but I understand that he's just a he's just a wonderful person. And interestingly, yeah, I'm glad you asked this question because um, I actually was incredibly uh, fortunate to receive uh, a. A significant shakti pot experience from a from a from a guy that used to come to Knoxville periodically. His name was Swamiji. Swamiji, he was a he was a guru of a of a woman here in town named Joan Harrigan, who uh, who uh, was part of his lineage. Taught yoga out in Oak Ridge. She's also a psychologist, and he would come into town periodically and spend time with her. And uh, he was doing this um, weekend. I guess you would call it a retreat or an immersion in Knoxville. And um, during a break, he came up behind me and like smacked the hell out of my back. <laughs> I mean, I was, it was sh- a shocking experience because he hit me like really hard. Right. You know? But uh, what he was doing was he was transferring his understanding of meditation to me. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I felt extremely blessed to get that from him. Right. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it actually really did change my perception of meditation completely. Interesting. Yeah, because I hadn't really devoted the amount of time I probably should have. And I, I guess he sensed that I was ready to, to begin, you know, like really focusing on meditation. And he just... He kind of showed me how. Slapped it into you. He smacked it right into me. You know, <laughs> it was it was remarkable. So yeah, my my understanding of meditation changed dramatically at that point, and it's something that I've done ever since you know, right. regularly. So right, and some people would say like the whole point of yoga is to sort of relax you enough. So that when you sit down to meditate, you're not like, oh, my knee hurts or oh, my back hurts. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're like able to focus. You know. Yeah, you know that. Um, now a lot of people do think of it that way, and that that is a that is an important aspect of it because it mm-hmm. does it you know uh, discomfort in your physical body oh, is it's a huge such a distraction. distraction. <laughs> yeah, I mean you you can't like particularly if you're just learning to meditate. I mean there's no way that you can overcome right. discomfort in your physical body. So you've got to be able to get into a comfortable position. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just not gonna it's just not gonna take hold. Um, so yeah, Hatha yoga and pranayama is very beneficial to, uh, you know, to establish the, the right atmosphere for, you know, meditation to eventually kind of take hold and right. consciousness, you know, so yeah, mm-hmm. super effective. All right. So my next question is how would you de- describe the flow state? Oh, that's a great question. That's, <laughs> that's one of my favorite subjects actually. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you asked that question. Um, Flow state feels like slipping into a, a groove that's 
unencumbered with the, I would say, typical peripheral distractions of the external world. Mm-hmm. It's like you, uh, time seems to slow down. It's like you're a Jedi, right? Right, right. And you're attuned to the Force, mm-hmm. right? So everything slows down. And, you know, information and understanding kind of emerge from within you, mm-hmm. you know, that you weren't consciously aware of before. Um, you recognize the external world around you is a manifestation from someplace deep inside the micro world within you. Mm-hmm. And with that understanding, what may seem like two separate things blend into a unified whole, you know, which is the essence of tantric philosophy that we we're talking about earlier. Um, I think you feel this kind of uh, balanced simplicity to perception and action. Like it's, it's an immersion in the here and now, essentially mm-hmm. immersion in the moment, you know, like you're fully conscious of the moment and immersed right. and what in it. all of a sudden, you know, this like, mm-hmm. uh, like you're participating in this immense cosmic dance of incredible beauty, complexity, and sophistication. But in that moment, it seems simple. It's right. like, it's like the, the immensity of reality is kind of defined in this very simple way when you're in flow state, you know, right. like, like you're a part of it. You, know, mm-hmm. you can really feel it. Um, you realize, um, you you understand it all, but it, but but you don't really understand how you do. You know, mm-hmm. it's like okay, wow, I I I I sense this, or I, I've got a sense of it, or a feeling of it, and I'm attuned with it, and I'm flowing with it. Right. But I don't really understand how or why. But it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter because because you uh, you know you you grasp that you're one with it on a fundamental level, and you and somehow you have this distrust of that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you trust that it's true. Right. You know, suddenly, like maybe you didn't trust it before, but when you slip into flow state, it's all of a sudden you're like, wow, okay, I can really, I can really feel this. And I, and I, and I, and I trust it in every fiber of my being, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's a very profound state. And, you know, you, you also, I think, you know, for me, I feel like the benevolence and intention behind life you know, I, 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 I actually feel loved, mm-hmm. you know, by this, by this underlying essence or this higher power, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that brings a, a sense of indescribable freedom, you know, that if it lasts just for an instant, you never forget it. Right. You know, would, would, would you say that that's true? I would. Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I feel like yoga was the first like obviously I had experienced flow and I just wasn't aware of it but when I started doing yoga like I would go in I'd be like oh this is a 90 minute class you know and I'm just like oh am I even gonna be able to do this so then I like lay there and you know I start moving and then I I get out of my mind and like I might even hit a point where I'm like oh this pose is so hard but but it's like I just move with it and it like it releases this I don't know, like some kind of buildup in me and I just start moving and it's like, I don't, there aren't restrictions anymore. And, but I'm, I'm able to sort of, now that I've, I've seen it in yoga. So this is like practicing yoga off the mat. I can like turn anything into a flow state. So like when yeah. I'm like cutting potatoes or, you know, like making bubbles or dancing, it's like, you know, anything can be flow but I think yoga is a really great way to sort of introduce us and like help us practice getting into that state but then we're able to recognize it just 
all the time, you know, like. That's the thing. If you experience it once, it's yeah. always with you. You always, right. you always remember it and you can apply it to any any area of your life at any time. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you, if you're focused enough. You right. Know? Yeah. Yeah. You've got to be focused. Or you can turn like these mundane tasks, like you're filing paperwork or whatever, just mm-hmm. something that. Maybe you don't just love doing, but if you can get into a flow state, it's almost like it turns into this meditation and you're just like, I don't know, it goes way beyond the physical. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's this famous quote. It's just, it's a simple thing. It's just chop wood, carry water. Right. Right. That makes you think of young. Yeah. 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 It's like, it's like before enlightenment you chop wood and carry water right. and then and after, after enlightenment you do the exact same thing <laughs> right. right you just do it with a different state of awareness right you know, at that point so right yeah yeah all right so as we wrap up this episode could you briefly discuss your deep dive program um i know we kind of already brought it up but um yeah, yeah. um how do you use yoga as the framework for this uh, like well, like I said earlier, we uh, we we it, it's an exploration of a person's you know psyche and emotional body through the chakras. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll we'll do we'll spend a you know a period of time on root chakra and go through you know all the dynamics that are present with root chakra and mm-hmm. how how that's affected a person throughout their lives. You know, so it's just to it's just to help bring clarity to that and. Um, uh, integration, you know, right. psychological, emotional integration that will allow you to be more, you know, whole and balanced, right. essentially. So, and we go systematically through each chakra mm-hmm. and we, 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 it's not just yoga based. It's an, it's a, it's really an exploration of the, the occult and all mm-hmm. occult means is hidden. It's just right. like hidden knowledge, like the mystery. Not understood by the masses. Yeah. Not understood by the masses. It's like this, it's like this ancient knowledge that's been around from the beginning mm-hmm. that is, is like in symbolism and allegory and mythology and all this, you know, and, and we know it when we see it, you know, like, like that's why movies like Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and The Matrix are so mm-hmm. popular because people recognize that on right. a fundamental level, even if they don't consciously yes. understand it, you know what I mean? Yes. So, uh, yeah, so it's super powerful. And we, we, we use a lot of those those ideas that are present in those movies and, you know, ancient myths and uh, iconography, you know, you name mm-hmm. it. And, you know, we, we do a really, really in-depth exploration of, like, human history from from the esoteric perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, 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 it's really a lot of fun. It's, it's, yeah, it's essentially an immersion into the, into the ancient mysteries. That sounds amazing. Yeah, through yoga. Yeah. So, right. Great, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. All right. So <clears throat> that concludes our episode. Thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or feedback on today's episode, feel free to contact me at the astral hour at yahoo.com. Our next episode will be released next Sunday, and I look forward to chatting with you all then. <laughs>